Green growth can be defined as seeking economic growth through environment-friendly technologies and industries. It goes against the common misunderstanding that environmentally friendly policies can pose an obstacle to economic growth. It's, it's a message that's coming in all sorts of markets and industries today. And the Global Green Growth Institute, headquartered here in South Korea, helps to develop strategies to support and promote environmentally friendly policies and projects for its member nations. As part of these efforts, the organization's holding Global Green Growth Week 2019 later this month. So great time to introduce here in the studio Dr. Frank Reisberman, the Director General of GGGI here in the studio. Good morning. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you back here with mm. us. It's been a few yes. months, I think. and. It's great to have someone in your position who's so passionate about the issues and, and can explain them to us in, I think, layperson's terms, because sometimes it can feel a bit abstract. Well, yes, I guess. You know, I've been doing this for ever, the last 40 years or so. But, you know, just the myth that you brought up, that the environment uh, is expensive, environmental technologies are, you know, hampering the economy. That is the greatest news for the last few years, that now actually renewable energy and a number of other of those technologies are commercially attractive. You know, coal-fired power plants are no longer the cheapest option. You know, in 2017, the Indian government did big auctions for solar energy, and they found, lo and behold, solar power was the cheapest way to generate energy for them. So the, the idea that they were going to build a lot of new coal-fired power plants, they just went out of the window from one day to the next. Because it made sense, because it makes economic sense, as well as being the best for your health. You know, obviously we don't want to breed the fine dust. That's a powerful motivation. But it also makes economic sense. If we want to keep growing the economy, then we'll have to find more, as we call, sustainable or environmentally friendly ways to do so. Exactly. It reminds me of an interview we did long ago about fossil fuels. Um, and the guest was saying the world will never run out of fossil fuels because... Um, it will become too expensive before they totally run out. Uh, and, you know, there'll just be some oil sitting there that will just be ridiculously expensive to burn for any practical purpose. Well, now it's going the other way around, right? Because the solar and wind energy are cheaper, uh, they won't be able to sell the oil even at low prices. So what we're predicting currently is a collapse of the oil market, not because it's so expensive, not because the oil becomes scarce, but because simply we don't want to use it anymore. Yeah, so there's that too. Well, maybe they'll find some environmentally friendly use for it in the future. Who knows? But th let's talk a little bit more about the objective for the GGG week, if I can call it that, Global Green Growth Week, scheduled yes. to be held from October 21st to 25th. So we are an intergovernmental organisation, which means members are governments. They join us by ratifying our treaty, and we have 33 of those uh, members now. And then every year they meet to tell us what they want from us, how we can support them what their priorities are, and then we organize a number of other meetings around that. And this year we're co-organizing our so-called assembly and council meeting with a very big conference on renewable energy, the Korea International Renewable Energy Conference, all in COEX. So we have uh, hundreds of people coming for that, and we also have more than 500 people now registered for a host of events we organize, uh, all focusing indeed on how can we grow the economy in a greener way, the green transition. How can we accelerate that? Yes, and here in Korea, probably the highest priority is cleaning up our air, but at the same time, that will help fight climate change. And at the same time, we, of course, still want green jobs for young people as well. 
for all those things. Jo- jobs are a big part of this, aren't they? It's going to be a, it's something... You Every time you talk about green messages, you're going to get a clichéd response or feeling like this is something we've all heard before. But when you start to throw in incentives to listen, like jobs, yep. that helps. Well, it helps because it's also true, of course, and the concerns that people have are like if we move from coal to solar will the coal miners lose jobs will people who work in these old brown industries lose their jobs and that is true they will lose their jobs the good news is the number of jobs we're getting back in the new the green economy are much larger than in the the jobs we lose but of course if you're the one that loses their coal job and I'm the one getting a solar job back doesn't make you any happier so there is this whole issue of a transition from the old to the new, and then governments do have a role to play in what we call a just transition. But by and large, we this year have done a big study on the net employment impacts of renewable energy. We show that the jobs gained in renewable energy and in other green sectors of the economy are indeed a much larger number than the ones lost in the brown economy. We're going to see the Green Growth Index launched at the event too. Can you tell us about how it's going to function and hopefully how important it's going to be? Yes, well, our members have asked us, you know, we've worked on green growth for a number of years now. Can you tell us how well we are doing? And that's not a very easy answer because it is so complex, as we are discussing. But we've worked hard for the last two years with a lot of experts and a lot of other institutes to come up with this index. And it measures indeed the performance of a country's economy in terms of green growth in different areas. Uh, using 36 indexes. A very complex business, but the bottom line is, yes, we're going to be able to rank countries and say, hmm, you're doing great in this area, but you could actually do better in another. And we might then help governments get advice on how they could do better. Like if they, for instance, see that some of their neighbors are doing better in one area, they'd ask us, what can we do? What policies, what projects could we have to catch up? And we're, of course, more than happy to help them out there. You um, said people want to know how they're doing, and also the benefit of an index is it gives the media something very tangible to to report on. But one of the frustrations you might have, I think I have it, is that the camps seem to have been drawn up and there's not enough movement between them. Perhaps there is some middle ground, but uh, it seems like there's a polarisation. You've got this very clearly shown by the response to teenage activist Greta Thunberg when she spoke at the UN Climate Summit. And I know you were there in New York for that. Uh, it was a very moving, stirring speech. Uh, wherever you stand on climate issues, I think it's possible to applaud Greta for s- sort of giving this brave commentary on current affairs. But yet there was vile criticism of her. Yes, You'll have that on any subject. I thought her words were the most powerful I heard in that room. And possibly the most important impact she has is bringing her own generation to this debate. You know, I have a 10-year-old son. He's gone to the climate strike here in Seoul. Uh, You know, a lot of young people who weren't thinking about this are now waking up and they're becoming aware. And yes, she is challenging uh, world leaders. And well, you said there was not that much movement. Uh, I know that... Uh, the major economies, you know, the US, China, India, they did not make big announcements there. But I was in the room when a lot of other, yes, admittedly smaller countries are stepping up, are moving to what's called the net zero by 2050 target. That's what Greta is asking for. Can we stick to one and a half degrees warming? And while last year we had less than 20 countries committed to a net zero target, this year there were more than 70. So that is 
quite a bit of movement. Well, know? I, I think what, what I'm also referring to is the movement of opinion. So there are people who, um, and, and I see this on social media mainly, because there's not many other platforms for them to have their say, but they're, they're sort of uh, saying things like, why should I listen to a 16-year-old girl? Or they're saying climate change isn't real, or, or such and such place was supposed to be underwater by now in the world. So, and, and, you know, a lot of the claims are exaggerated. Or they're saying, and, and perhaps they're using the 16-year-old girl thing as a way of just justifying their, their own positions. But is it important to try to convince those people or or just go ahead and try our best? Well, working in the media, I, I, you know that on any subject you'll have the haters who write the ridiculous comments, right? I'm more impressed by the, I think, 16 million kids that participated in school strikes mm. uh, the Friday last. And climate change seems to have... I've been in for many years in this is-it-for-real kind of debate. We seem to be over that. You know, in a country like your own, Britain, where politics is indeed super polarized. Remarkably, the one thing that the parties can agree on that is no longer controversial is climate change is real. Uh, the country, after the last heat waves this summer, took on the climate emergency law, has committed to uh, a net zero goal. And we see that in more countries. You know, in Denmark, for instance, the previous government, which was disagreeing with the current one on many issues, started the climate uh, action, and the current government is just stepping it up. So I'm not quite convinced that we have such a polarized debate. I'm with Greta where she says, just listen to the scientists. They've actually come to agreement on this for a long time, and a very large number of countries, virtually all the European ones uh, to start with, are coming together. We are obviously interested in helping to promote this consensus, and we see New York and our Green Growth Week and the big summit we'll have here in Seoul next year, June, the P4G summit, as very important stepping stones to the COP in Glasgow, the one that the UK government will host. That's really our moment of truth. By the end of next year, we need to have new commitments to the Paris Agreement, and by then we need to see whether we've been able to mobilize enough government leaders and enough of the public opinion to implement that Paris Agreement. I think that's very important, but I am not relaxed about it. We, it doesn't go fast enough, but hopeful enough that I see the signs in New York and in other places that we are moving in the right direction at, at a decent speed, actually. Also, I mean, living somewhere like Seoul, you don't have to ask yourself the question, is climate change real or not? You can just ask yourself, do I want to breathe in dirty air? Exactly. Because you, you tackle that and you're going to tackle the other issues. And, totally and it, linked, yes. And, and it's also a point that many activists have been making if you challenge the traditional economic growth models uh, and the traditional targets that governments have driven by industry, you're going to hopefully address how you can make life better for people. Absolutely. And while Korea is such a shining example of rapid development and many other countries want to follow that same path, we do always remind them, you know, we live here, but yeah, we use our air masks. My son can't go play soccer because the air quality is bad. So there are some pretty serious drawbacks to e Korea's economic development model. And others, if they can, should prevent that, should leapfrog, if you like, uh, the environmental impact, still grow, still have green jobs. And yes, throughout Asia, we see that uh, air pollution is the key driver for taking the kind of investment decisions that will also help with climate. Of course, uh, my son lived in Beijing last year, and mm. we were constantly comparing, you know, air visual and other things. 
And amazingly, there were more blue skies in Beijing last year than in Seoul. I'm sure that that's not something that we in Seoul want to uh, accept as the the final answer. Not at all. No. Let's get a bit competitive about it. Indeed. That's the sort of competition <laughs> I get behind. But um, the reason I also mentioned that just briefly here is because your institute uh, and its president or chairman, Ban Ki-moon, uh, both those titles, uh, he yes, is... Yes, he's president of our assembly and chair of our council, so both are right. Right. He he uh, addressed this issue of air pollution recently, and, and that was quite tangible from the local po- population's point of view. Yes, he has many hats, and one of the most important ones is that President Moon appointed him the chair of the National Air Quality and Climate Council, which came into being after we had these very bad episodes of uh, you know air pollution in March. And just this Monday, the council has uh, published its plans to take down air pollution by 20% in the coming winter, so we should all feel the impacts of taking more than a million old diesel cars off the road and closing not just four power plants as happened uh, last winter, but up to 27 power plants this year. So very hopefully we won't see as bad air the coming winter as we saw last. Fingers crossed. And please do keep applying pressure where you can um, on on our behalf. (laughs) But um, one other positive thing to mention here, President Moon Jae-in did announce the P4G summit will be held in in Seoul next year. And I understand, uh, again, your institute will be involved in that. Uh, Can you briefly explain how significant that might be? Yes. P4G stands actually for Partnership for the Green Growth and the Global Goals. You know, it's a mouthful, but it really means it was a Danish initiative that said government can't do this alone. We have to work with the private sector. And they've made a lot of uh, noise about that. So they brought back uh, government leaders in Copenhagen in October 2018. And then they were looking for another country to take on the baton. And uh, President Moon in New York, uh, you know, f- firmly accepted that and announced that in June next year that he will invite all the leaders of the 12 P4G countries to come to Seoul and, you know, discuss how they can solve these issues. And because it also happens to be our 10-year anniversary, because the Korean precursor of GDGI was set up in 2010, we are also involved, you know, we're also part of P4G. I'm on the board of that organization. So, yes, we'll have a very major platform in Seoul to bring world leaders here on their road to Glasgow and say, so what are the best practices we can share? What have other countries done? How can we all do better? And in the meantime, we can head along, any of us, right, to Global Green Growth Week, October 21st to the 25th at COEX. Absolutely. It was totally open. You know, it's filling up. So if you want to join, uh, register right now. I think this week uh, we probably still have some spots. Uh, But yes, uh, it's open to the public. We have a lot of interesting events. I hope we'll see many of your listeners there. Dr. Frank Reisbohan, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure.